This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, good for you. Oh, well, I guess we'll start. I guess we'll start. Just like, what? Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where ready or not, we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. It's January 24th. I can't believe we're almost to the end of the month already. I know, it's crazy. Those of you participating in dry January, seven more days. Uh, okay, so. You've got this. Uh, news and then some smiles, uh, and uh, and then we'll be on our merry way. What do you got, Ms. Adams? Uh, yours looks more interesting. Okay. Why don't you go so, first? So mine is is a twofer. One is uh, an article out of Bloomberg, uh, an interview with Robert Rubin, who was Treasury Secretary during uh, the Clinton administration, also a longtime creature of Wall Street, in which, and this is the headline, Rubin warns of enormous risks from America's fiscal trajectory, which, fine. He did that. The really interesting part is that he says out loud in this piece that Congress is going to have to consider tax increases to get us to where we need to be. That is to say that we can't really cut all that much more because Americans want and demand things. And if you're going to cut, that's going to get dicey politically in a big, bad hurry. So that was really interesting. And I commend the article to your attention. Why I bring it up is that juxtaposed to that in an email newsletter that I get called Politico's Morning Money, and Politico guys are really plugged in in Washington, Morning Money um, is is well grounded in the happenings of finance and the SEC and Congress and all those things. There's a piece in Morning Money today that reads like this. For years, Congress has blinked as the national debt balloons. Now a long shot effort to carve a common path forward could be gaining momentum. Great. So far, so good. That was me. Now, continuing, House Budget Chair Jody Arrington says he wants the House to pass a bill from these two other representatives that would create a fiscal, fiscal commission to study spending as part of looming mm. appropriations legislation. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, sponsoring similar legislation alongside Mitt Romney, said on Tuesday he will fight like the Dickens to keep that commission in. So Congress, as Congress is wont to do, is looking only at spending cuts and from the outside world, and this includes me, people are wondering, how are we not talking about the revenue side of the equation? And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but the idea that we can't even talk about raising taxes to pay for all of the things that Americans want, need, and demand, and deserve in some degree, is insane. It's absolutely nutty. That's it. End yeah, of rant. I think it's that so many people feel... Like any government waste where it occurs, because it does sometimes, or any that that is coming directly from their pocket, right? Like the other day, we did the story on you know how much a government shutdown, even an almost government shutdown, Mm -hmm. costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was and you, you, not not we, you did that story on on the show. You did the introduction. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a partnership. All right, fair enough. (laughs) But, you know, the, and when I was reporting it, I couldn't find really good numbers on it because right. they probably don't like to look at it for good reason. But back in the 2019 shutdown, it was like three hundred and thirty eight yep. million dollars for just associated costs of the shutdown, not even talking about back pay or whatever, but just winding things up and winding things down. So every single time we do this, it costs money. And 
these stories are often effective because when people hear that taxpayer dollars are going to X, waste, fraud, abuse, whatever, you mm-hmm. feel that personally, like I'm paying taxes and it gets this. And so the counter to that, I think, is that when you talk about raising taxes, mm-hmm. if you end up bearing the brunt of that, all of those little things loom much larger. Yep. Even if you still get your roads and your bridges and, you know, space exploration and, yeah. and all the other, you know, things, you start to pay a lot more attention to all the other ways that the system isn't working well. And I think that's what makes it hard. Yeah. One I, of the I things that makes fair. it hard. I think that's fair. Yeah. It just, it, the, we, we can't even talk about it. And that's just, it's crazy making. Anyway, what do you got? Uh I love Open Secrets. They're such mm-hmm. a good organization. And, you know, shout out to Sheila Crumholtz, who was on here, um, has been on here before. Yeah. But also she's retiring from oh, running Open that. Secrets. And um, you should remind people well. what it is. Yes. Sorry. Open Secrets is an organization that tracks money in politics and does it very, very well and often will issue very detailed reports looking at how money is flowing through politics, not just at um, in terms of political candidates and what they file with the FEC, but they're looking at super PACs and political action committees and lobbying groups. And they just put out a report on foreign funding Mm. in elections. Now, foreign entities are not supposed to be contributing money to our state federal elections, right? And this is illegal, right? So let me just read a little bit here. Federal campaign finance law bars contributions made directly or indirectly from foreign nationals in connection with any federal, state, or local elections. But U.S. registered corporations that are subsidiaries of foreign companies or corporations or that have foreign ownership often pour money into U.S. politics. A new Open Secrets analysis found these foreign influence companies have poured millions of dollars into political contributions to lawmakers in states that are cracking down on their political giving. So Open Secrets was only able to track this in the states that are really starting to look at it. But after Citizens United in 2010, it allowed, you know, corporations or people, so corporations could start contributing to candidates and and campaigns and PACs and all those things, right? So Mm -hmm. if it's a corporation that is in the United States, that corporation and its associated industry groups or PACs can contribute to candidates. But if you're a company that has a huge stake of foreign ownership or you're a company and many of your employees that are contributing to the company, you know, uh, political action committee, has a lot of people who are foreigners, that is seemingly allowing people to get around this rule. And so they're looking at companies like Altria Group, which, you know, has some foreign ownership, BP, Coca-Cola, Philips Mm. 6066, PepsiCo, Madison Square Garden Entertainment. Uh, There's a whole bunch. And so... um, 
according to Open Secrets database of contributions made by foreign influenced companies in Colorado, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, New York, and Washington, they attracted more than $163 million mm. in political contributions between the 2018 and 2022 election cycles from companies that could be impacted by new laws. Committees included state-level candidates, party committees, PACs, and ballot measure committees, as well as independent expenditure committees where available. So, foreign money in politics, despite it being illegal. You know, this goes to the thing we were talking about the other day and the absolute Mm -hmm. canard that, that, you know, campaign finance regulations are and the idea that that we have any control at all over who is buying financing and otherwise spending money in our elections. Yeah, not much without the enforcement side of things. And right now the enforcement side is lacking. Yep, yep. Anyway. Yes. Uh, Anyway. Yes. Go ahead. I was really struggling to find to make me smile today. So I just picked this one. That's a good one. Um, It is a good one. And it did make me smile, but it also made me a little like, eh, okay. Jon Stewart is returning to The Daily Show. He's going to be hosting the show on Monday and be the executive producer. He, you know, it it makes sense that he would go back to The Mm -hmm. Daily Show when they've been looking for a new host. And his own uh, show on Apple uh, TV has, um, I think, been ended Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the problem with Jon Stewart, it didn't really gain a lot of traction. So wonderful to see Jon Stewart returning to the host chair. He does such a great job. And really, I think, created a generation of news consumers from people who were kind of not engaged. Um, When I was in college and I was studying journalism, the vast majority of my friends were getting their news from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, not from me Mm. or my (laughs) peers in in, in the industry. (laughs) Um, And so... I'm glad to see him back in the mix, but I also know that it speaks to the moment. And he has been a very vocal um, person when it comes to some of the problems and, and threats to the democracy. And I have to imagine that the the dangerous moment that we're in right now factored into his decision to go back to a job that, you know, he'd been ready seemingly to move on from. Oh, he, he definitely was. So is that your, eh, is that your, your misgiving about yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think all. that's fair. Just no, look, I think it's fair. Moment. I think it's fair. I think it's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mine is not so much a make me smile as a crazy, crazy story in Ars Technica about space and the space shuttle. And the headline of the piece <laughs> is, what happens when an astronaut in orbit says he's not coming back. And it goes into this guy in 1985, a scientist on STS-51B, which is a a space shuttle flight designation, goes up having some problems with his experiment, can't get it to work, can't get it to work, asks for more time. Controllers on the ground won't give him more time because astronauts are programmed to the nth degree because they only have so much time up there, right? And finally, Mm -hmm. he says, if you won't let me do my experiment, I'm not coming back. And everybody goes, wait, what? Because all you have to do is open the hatch and you're not coming back, right? So anyway, we'll put it on the thing, but it's about, we'll put it on the show page, I mean. But this is a story about human dynamics. It's a story about spaceflight. It's a story about risk. It's a story about crew coordination. It's a story about um, science. It's crazy. 
It's crazy. And also, it's ever more relevant as now more and more people, including like regular civilians who are not even really uh, psychologically screened, can go up in space too. Wild story. It was. I, man, I, yeah. uh, yeah. I read that and I was just like, yep. I never, I never thought about it. Yep. it despite totally. this coming up in so many elements of science fiction, oh, you yeah. know, I didn't yeah. think of it in yep. real life. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good story. Check it out. It Put is it a good story. Uh, and with that, we're done. Uh, back tomorrow, which will be Thursday. Until uh, then, you know how to get a hold of us. Thoughts, questions, comments, make me smart at marketplace.org or voicemail comes to us at 508-U-B-S-M-A-R-T. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Jake Cherry. And Talia Menchaca is our intern. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. Whence this program comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>